After a decisive win in the Democratic primary, Democrat Russ Carnahan is locked in a tight battle for lieutenant governor with Republican Mike Parson. The Democrat from St. Louis joins us next to talk about his plan to put himself over the top on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair to say. I say hands to kiss and babies to shake. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in our St. Louis studios is... Colleague Joe Manis. And returning to our show for the second time, the Democratic nominee for Lieutenant Governor... Russ Carnahan. Great to be back with you. And great to see you again. Um, Your primary against Tommy Pearson and Winston Apple was not the most contentious primary, but it still was a a contested race. You ended up winning decisively. I think you got, what, 60, 70 percent of the vote or something like that? 76 percent. That must have been pretty gratifying to you because on the previous show, we talked about how you had fought in some pretty difficult primaries where you came up, you know, ahead, but narrowly. What was it like to come out ahead by a lot against two pretty respectable opponents, essentially? Well, they were respected opponents and uh, Representative Pearson uh, here from St. Louis County and Winston Apple, who uh, was very active in the Bernie Sanders movement from Kansas City, uh, you know, both weighed serious campaigns. But uh, I was very fortunate to have a very diverse coalition from around the state, from St. Louis, Kansas City and rural areas. And uh, that came together well. And we did that without having to spend money on paid advertising. We really used those uh, networks and organizations uh, through the primary process, and that came out uh, came out well. It was a good good exercise to warm up for the general. Well, I noticed that this is for our listeners that you're wearing what appears to be the campaign uniform for most of the candidates. It's jeans, white shirt, and a suit jacket. I'm just letting people know, and I think in some ways that epitomizes the efforts of different candidates to either appeal to rural Missouri more uh, if they're Democrats, because Democrats, as you know from your father's mantra, you needed to get in the low 40s, he always said. And then for the Republicans, it's reverse. They want to look at least somewhat urbane when they're in um, the the metro area. But I've gotten a big kick out of it because it used to be suits. Now it's jeans, suit jacket, white shirt. Do you guys just not own ties? (laughs) Uh, I do. I do own ties, but you know, I've I have enjoyed not having to wear a suit and tie. Because I have never seen I've never seen Eric Greitens wear a tie before, and I don't think I've seen Coster wear a tie not, recently. Well, well, it's been since candidate filing. Last, candidate filing was the last time I saw yeah, Chris yeah. Coster wear a tie well, at a press conference. We'll get into kind of the dynamics of the campaign a little bit. later. I didn't know this was a fashion show. <laughs> it is also. a fashion show. <laughs> Hey, we cover all. We, we, we cover all the gamut. I, I want to just ask very simply, why do you want to be lieutenant governor and what do you think you bring to the office if you win? Yeah, you know, I uh, fortunately I was blessed to be uh, raised in a family where I could see uh, with the front row seat, you know, what public service was all about. And uh, certainly that has inspired me. My, my career has been partly in the private sector and partly in the public sector. But this election, I think... Uh, I just could not sit on the sidelines. Well, I think there were so many challenges and opportunities for our state uh, in terms of reforming our political system, having people in 
public office for the right reasons. And I think the lieutenant governor's office is uh, uniquely situated, uh, partly in the executive branch and partly in the legislative branch, to be able to uh, work with uh, a new governor uh, that I certainly hope that that's Chris Coster, uh, but also uh, the other duties that uh, are officially part of the lieutenant governor's office, which I expect we'll go into Absolutely. today. Yes. Uh, but also to champion uh, much needed uh, said political reform, uh, infrastructure investments, uh, things that really help grow this economy. Uh, the, I'm, I'm passionate about this. Uh, we have some very great bright spots in our state, and I think I can bring some uh, unique background and, and talents to that. Well, one of the things that um, about the lieutenant governor's office, people always joke about how much that person does or doesn't. But in fact, they, as Jason has pointed out on other shows, um, the person sits on a variety of key boards, and um, including the the board that deals with low-income housing tax credits. Um, the Missouri Development Finance Board, right, the Tourism uh, Commission. I right. think and they're also, I think, seen as the veterans advocate for yes. the state as well. Yeah, I, and I think also the elderly. And also the elderly. So, so let's talk about low-income housing tax credits because that's been a very controversial issue in the Missouri legislature. There have been an, a number of conservative Republicans, and I would also say the current governor, Jay Nixon, has wanted to curtail that incentive. They say that it's inefficient. They say that it could be done better. But conversely, there are a lot of low-income seniors and low-income individuals who see that incentive as not only very useful, but vital for them to find affordable, high-quality housing. If, if you're on the board that is doling that particular incentive out, what is going to be your mindset when you vote on those types of projects? And what is your opinion of that incentive in general? Um, I think it's an important incentive. It's, uh, it has helped leverage uh, a lot of private investment in our state that might not have otherwise happened. And it has also met a really vital need uh, for folks that need affordable housing in our urban areas, but also we've seen uh, and heard lots of stories, even in uh, some of our resort areas around the lake, uh, where they have seasonal housing, uh, where they've really struggled to find housing, affordable housing for their workforce. So we've seen this around the state. Uh, and I think, uh, again, I, it's an important incentive. I would expect to continue it, but always be opening to listen to the people that are actually utilizing it mm -hmm. uh, because we've also gotten a good feedback in terms of uh, what's working, what's not, how can we make it better? I think we always have to have an eye open for that. Would you want to lower the cap to uh, that is in place that, that limits the amount of, of low-income housing tax credits that can be given out? Um, not without any serious rationale to do that. Again, the program has been working. Uh, it's been effective. Uh, it has provided a, an important need. Uh, and I would, I would be hesitant to uh, cap that uh, without some compelling reason to do so. Because I think, as, as I said, it's leveraged far more private dollars uh, than the public dollars that we've uh, put into it. Now, you have some people forget that you have some experience in the Missouri House before you ended up going to Congress. So you have some legislative experience in the, in the um, House and I mean, in the Jeff City and also from D.C. 
What about that experience would add to the job? I mean, if you're explaining to people why you deserve it and what your experience is, the, your federal and state experience, how would that mesh or not? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And uh, people want to talk about this a lot. You know, I served in the Missouri House for uh, four years, uh, half in the majority, half in the minority. I served in Congress for eight years, again, half in the majority, half in the minority. So I've kind of seen all sides. But if you look at my uh, record and my approach in both, I've always made it a point to reach out and work in a bipartisan way to get things done. Uh, because no individual and no party has a monopoly on good ideas. Often you can start with an idea in a legislative process and you come up with other ideas from other legislators along the way that can improve your idea, make it better, or grow the coalition of support around it. Uh, I did that with um, uh, women's health care and the children's uh, lead testing that we passed in the Missouri House in a bipartisan way. Uh, I chaired the bipartisan Center Isle Caucus in the Congress with my colleague Joanne Emerson, and again, uh, was always looking for ways that we could work together because we, we got better results when we did. And I think that approach is so critical in our Missouri legislature where things have been so divided uh, to be looking for that common ground where we can actually get things done. If you become lieutenant governor, you're going to be uh, the president of the Senate, essentially, which means you can preside over uh, the Senate whenever you want. But no matter how individual races shake out, it's going to be a super majority of Republicans. And you you know that going in. There's no possible way the Democrats can take over this cycle. I don't even think it's possible for them to, you know, winnow down the super majority. So how is a super majority of Republicans going to listen to a Democratic lieutenant governor that may have very different opinions about major public policy issues? Well, again, it's all about collaboration and finding common ground. Um, even Republicans in the majority will need to work with Democrats. Uh, they may need to be working with a Democratic governor. You know, there are checks. Our system is created to have multiple checks uh, throughout the process that also force and encourage people to find that common ground to get things done. So, um, again, that's my personal approach. Uh, that's the way I've operated throughout my legislative history. And with regard to presiding, uh, in the state Senate, I would take that uh, that part of the job very seriously. Uh, but also, uh, my approach there is would not be to put your thumb on the scale, but to preside fairly. Yeah. To say, I, I want to be sure that every senator, regardless of where they're from or what their party, gets a fair opportunity to be heard, to uh, be the voice of their constituents that they were elected to to go to Jefferson City for. Uh, but also uh, actually to follow their own rules, uh, to be sure they follow those rules and traditions of the Senate. And I think that empowers every individual senator, but also raises the uh, significance and image of the Senate itself if there's a commitment to follow their own rules. I think that's important. Now, many of the legislators in the House, well, there's some still in the House and, of course, some in the Senate who were around um, – when your your congressional seat got axed a few years ago. Uh, do you think there's going to be any sort of strain uh, if you're there from that? Because I know from covering the whole thing a few years ago, tensions got pretty high. I mean, not just from you, but just in the chamber itself from the from the pro and con. 
Uh, I mean, because you were the target uh, when they did redistricting. Any, I mean, do you think there's any lasting tensions from that? Not for me. I mean, that's that was certainly a, a spirited battle uh, with differing opinions and differing political agendas. But uh, that's that's a old chapter in a book right now, uh, and I don't think there's any lasting impact from that. Certainly not for me. Well, thank thank you for for mentioning that, Joe. This is a perfect segue to our audio clip. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. And 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 although this is kind of looking back in the past, when we had uh, Congressman Lacey Clay on our show a couple of months ago, who you ran against in a very spirited and contentious race in 2012, we asked him pretty directly, how excited are you going to be about helping out lieutenant governor candidate that you've faced before in an election. And his answer, I think, was actually pretty surprising, and I'm going to play it right now. You know, after 2012, uh, we uh, repaired our relationship. Uh, and, and, and my position is always, hey, after the election is over, the people have made that decision. And in this case, uh, we were victorious. And so I moved on. We, we are cordial. We talk. Uh, we we are we are collaborating on this race, just like I'm talking with Robin Smith, uh, and uh, at times talking to Jason Kander. So I, I play that clip because whether someone likes Lacey Clay or not, it's pretty unquestionable that he and his family have a pretty stout political organization, and the fact that they're willing to help you in your race is probably a net positive for you, especially after 2012. I'd like to get your reaction to what the congressman said just there. No, I think what Congressman Clay said is accurate. I mean, we had a spirited uh, contest. Uh, we disagreed about the, the redistricting process and on some issues. But the, the campaign was about issues. And uh, to me, it was never personal. And after uh, he won, I congratulated him. I encouraged my supporters to support him. And uh, we worked together uh, closely since. So, uh, again, what he said is accurate, and that's been my experience as well. Now, when people talk, ask, ask you about what you've been doing since then, um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, just from the last four years? Yeah, I've um, been working in the private sector on some legal and uh, business projects. Uh, also done, uh, particularly in the in the uh, energy area, I helped found uh, Missouri-based uh, bioma- biomass energy company uh, that is uh, kicked off here that uh, works on a technology that uh, can utilize plant waste and agricultural waste to make a solid fuel that can uh, supplement uh, coal in power plants uh, to produce more renewable power. So I want to ask you about a scenario that occurred with the current lieutenant governor. We talked a little bit about this before the show. Last year, there was a debate within the Missouri Development Finance Bo- Financing Board. I think I got that acronym correct. If I didn't, you can strike me with lightning right now. <laughs> um, to provide a line of credit to the RSA, which oversees the Edward Jones Dome, in the process of when they were in the process of trying to build a new stadium. Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder, a Republican, was the only person to vote against that line of credit which turned out to be a very 
you know, foresighted move because obviously the stadium never materialized and the RSA is in a whole bunch of financial trouble right now. Yeah, well, and put a backdrop, this is mainly done to try in in a vain attempt to keep the Rams. So I'm not asking you necessarily about that specific situation, but if you are, if you were lieutenant governor then and you were asked to provide public money to a stadium, would you have taken Lieutenant Governor Kinder's uh, mentality and and voted against it, or are, are you? Do you think publicly financing stadiums is a good idea? Uh, that would not be a high priority, I think, for use of those public dollars. And I think, as you mentioned, the result of that uh, futile attempt uh, probably speaks volumes uh, about the entire process. So the other another board you'll be on is tourism. And um, while I, I said this on the, the show with Senator Parson, it's probably not as controversial as a realm of the other two boards I mentioned, but it's still extremely important. It's probably like a multi is it a, is it a multi billion dollar industry in Missouri? I would yes. imagine it is. Indeed, it's it's. I mean, if you look at the, the economic drivers in our state, uh, from you know Missouri, uh, agriculture being the the number one industry, uh, but we've also seen. Uh, St. Louis is in, in our state. We've become like the startup scene mm-hmm. in the company in the country for uh, for new companies and technology. But tourism ranks right up there, uh, and that's something again we need to be on the forefront of promoting that because we've got an amazing, diverse state uh, from you know natural resources and parks and rivers you know, to theme parks and everything in between. So. There's a lot for us to sell and promote and to have people come come visit here and spend those tourist dollars here that multiply uh, so well throughout our economy. What, I asked um, Senator Parson this the same thing. Would you want to resurrect the Tour of Missouri, which is was, which was the bicycle race that Kinder had um, been a big promoter of, which got killed in this fight between him and, and Governor Nixon? But the bottom line is um, it had been something that the tourism— uh, commission had been kind of overseeing. Any thoughts about and that? And from my understanding, I think you're actually a big proponent of, of bikes. You you got some federal grants for bike lanes in St. Louis. So this may be actually something you know quite a bit about. No, I was very active with the uh, with the trails groups around St. Louis, and we've seen the you know the the trail systems around St. Louis, especially, have just grown dramatically. And we have you know now some of the best trail systems uh, in the country. Mm-hmm. And so, again, great for folks who live here, uh, great for tourism, and, you know, it's just a great quality of life issue uh, around our St. Louis region. So certainly I, I have supported those in the past. I think they're an important component of, of what we're doing with tourism especially. What about the, t- the tour of Missouri specifically? You know, the, you couldn't argue with the, you know, the economic benefits and numbers behind it. Again, a lot of dollars invested around that, and, and frankly— as you said, it got it got balled up in political games uh, with officials in state government, and that's that's too bad because we lost something that that uh, I think was beneficial to our state. Now you're an interesting person in that you grew up in Rolla, correct? Right. Okay. I mean, because I've been to the to the uh, compound, the farm. Uh, it's not really a farm, but it's. But although you do, I think, well, I would, don't you I still have cattle? Di- I would beg to differ okay. with you. It, okay, it, it do is, you still it have is cattle? It is a farm. Okay. We still uh, have about 125 head of black Angus beef cattle and a uh, handful of horses and some uh, great populations of wild deer and turkey. And so it's a, it's a 
beautiful place in in South Central Missouri. So I stand corrected then. Okay, uh, it's been it's been a few years since I've been there, but and then of course you represented St. Louis um, in the state house and then in Congress. So you sort of have a rural urban background. Well, so, I think the and I would add, Joe, uh, I did grow up in rural Missouri. We live in uh, South St. Louis City, and one of the things I actually love about the city. Uh, the old neighborhoods in the city really remind me a lot of small towns because they're very well connected and, and a lot of you know neighbors really pay attention to their neighbors. But the district I represented in Congress was uh, unique in the state because it had part urban core, part mm-hmm. suburban, and part rural all together in one district. And so to me, that was a, a great experience to see things that are diverse about our state, but it's also, I think, great experience in terms of what our statewide uh, responsibilities. Well, th- th- this is a good segue into the political aspect because right. I've seen a couple of your political ads and you're really emphasizing the rural part of your background. You're, you're walking in a field, you're wearing the checkered shirt. I'm just wa- wondering why you decided to go with that given that you live about five miles away from me in the city of St. Louis and didn't, you know, mix it up a little bit and have you walking through your neighborhood or St. Louis. Why did you decide to go that route stylistically? That was part of our ad. Uh, you know, part of our ads were filmed with uh, veterans, part with students mm-hmm. on a college campus. And so we had a diverse uh, group of folks in our ads. But uh, to me, it's, it's you know, part of my background, who mm-hmm. I am, what shaped me, you know, growing up uh, in rural Missouri, uh, working farm jobs to pay my way through Mizzou. You know, you, you learn a lot about yourself and others, I think, working like that. In, in terms of, of your sense of community and giving back and, and, and working hard to get things accomplished. And, and I, I'm, I asked that question, I'm wearing the Buffalo check jacket, which makes it seem like I'm a hunter, even though I grew up in suburban Chicago. So it, I may not be the best messenger of that question. So, so but, but the fact is, I mean, some of the Republicans, including your opponent, you know, are kind of raising questions about that, or at least derisively. Um, saying, well, he's really, you know, an urban Democrat, and he has a strong record of voting with President Barack Obama. Um, how do you marry those two parts of your life as you're trying to promote yourself um, to people in rural or, or urban Missouri? Well, it's one of the things that I, if things that I really love about our state uh, is we do have these unique areas. I mean. Uh, and you travel to rural South Missouri, and they have unique issues in their communities. And, you know, having roots there, it's easy to relate and understand. But they also have a lot of issues in common. And to me, that's the art of politics in Missouri, uh, is how you can find that common ground. I'll give you one example from when okay. I was in the legislature. Uh, we were having a hard time getting a rural... Uh, legislators to vote for uh, urban mass transit support until someone did the math and and showed some of the rural legislators that if we transition some of the urban bus systems to uh, biodiesel fuel, they'd have to plant tens of thousands more acres of soybeans uh, and create more market for the farm products. And so those are some good examples of how you can find that common ground and find those bridge issues that bring people together. The other good uh, example that we hear about a lot, you know, we've got some 
uh, tremendous medical centers here in St. Louis, but with technology and broadband development linking those urban specialty doctors and uh, medical centers to some of the most remote parts of our state, uh, that's going to be the future of medicine, linking those. But uh, again, one of the challenges we, we have with infrastructure is how we're uh, expanding that broadband access to build those connections. And again, that's an example where urban and rural can really work together and use the best of their assets. So I want to talk a little bit about the campaign discourse so far. The yes. first is going to be kind of you to respond to Senator Parson. And I think you saw this coming because I asked you this question the last time you were on the show. I kind of foresaw that whoever came out of that Republican primary was going to derisively say your record in Congress is bad, too liberal, whatnot. I'm sure that you saw that coming too. Is what your, is your general what, response? But what is your general response? Because Missouri is kind of a moderate conservative state. I think you have, as you said on the previous show, a pretty defined record on a whole host of issues. I think you would both agree that his record and your record of votes are, is fair game. Try to convince me as an undecided voter that your record is, is good for, for both Missouri and Missouri, so to speak. Yeah, no, I think, you know, as I explained earlier, my approach has been to build consensus and to get things done. Frankly, I don't have a lot of patience for the political food fight uh, that a lot of our, our legislative process has become because I think people expect you to go there and get things done. And uh, and no one legislator can do that by themselves. You've got to build the coalitions around uh, that to get things done. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, We had a very strong uh, St. Louis chapter of the Multiple Sclerosis uh, Society, the MS Society here. And they were working on ideas to get additional research funding. Uh, I worked with them. Uh, we actually founded and started the MS Caucus in the Congress with a Republican colleague, uh, Dr. Burgess from Texas. And even though he and I voted opposite each other probably 90% of the time, uh, we locked arms and championed this. We got the first ever funding through the, the Defense Department for MS research because there had been a spike in diagnosis of MS among the military. So again, well, that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't reached out, found common ground, and uh, to champion that issue. So that's, that's my approach, and I think that is, the, that is the common sense, collaborative approach that people expect. And frankly, as I've traveled around the state, and we've done uh, a series of roundtables in rural and urban Missouri to develop uh, the nine-point plan that we've been talking about throughout mm -hmm. the campaign. Uh, again, it's, it's pragmatic, it's common sense, and it's things that we've developed, not from the top down, but really from the bottom up that we've heard from people traveling the state. Now, the nine-point plan, uh, you want to touch on that briefly? I mean, you're, this is your centerpiece. Uh, you want to talk about this briefly? Yeah, I told you this is how we developed it, but you know we got uh, a lot of feedback from folks about investments uh, in infrastructure where we're way behind across this state. You talk about an issue that brings rural and urban together uh, is uh, failure to invest in our infrastructure. I think there's a big opportunity to build a coalition uh, from the bottom up about what local needs look like. You know, what does a state plan cost and uh, then make clear that this is something that 
only is going to be done by a vote of the people. Uh, so it's, if it's developed from that grassroots uh, conversation and voters are going to get to vote up or down on it, I think that's the best way uh, to get an infrastructure package passed. So that's, that's number one. Also, political reform. Uh, we've heard about this everywhere we go. We're the only state in the country that has unlimited political donations, unlimited lobbyist gifts, and almost no regulation of the re revolving door of legislators leaving to go uh, be lobbyists. Uh, fortunately, we have the contribution limits on the ballot which you, I take it on you November support. 8th, which I support. Mm -hmm. I believe we'll pass with a big vote, uh, and that's an important first step, but people are tired of a political system that many believe is rigged or at least not working for them. And if you stop 10 people out here on the street anywhere in Missouri and said, do you think th these kind of rules are, are helping a system work for you, you'd get an earful. I think this has been brought up by your opponents, but when you were in Congress, you traveled extensively throughout the world. I, I'm going to take a wild guess that you didn't necessarily pay for some of those trips personally. Were they paid for by special interest groups? Like when you went to, I think you went to Antarctica at one point. Like, like how were how were those paid for? And if they were paid by, you know, lobbyists or special interest groups, are you really the best messenger on this issue? Um, I, I think I'm relaying what people feel strongly about, and I feel strongly about. Mm -hmm. uh, I supported the most comprehensive uh, ethics reform package when I was in Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm proud of my reform uh, activities when I was in Congress uh, in terms of, of travel. Uh, part of the travel I did I was uh, related to my work on the House Foreign Affairs Committee right. where we visited with uh, America, you know, U.S. officials uh, around the globe, uh, but also foreign officials that were important uh, and so those trips would have been government-related. Others would have been congressionally approved uh, through the Ethics Committee, mm -hmm. uh, and that's the, that's the only way you can do it. You're, you're, the rules prohibited uh, being uh, private travel from right. uh, lobbyists directly. I, I wanted you to respond to that because that has been brought up. I, I do want to ask about one aspect of your latest ad, um, which, which was a very creative ad. It featured Nancy Wilson and the former chief of staff for Mike Parson. I can't even, how do you pronounce his name? Bubs? Hulahan? Uh, it's Bubs Hulahan. Okay. There was a, uh, beyond just the, 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 the fact that it was a creative ad, there was one thing that they said in the ad that caught my attention, and that was criticizing Senator Parson for taking money from a company that wanted to give farmland to China. Yes. Okay, you want to explain a little bit more? Yeah, the, I mean, sure. I mean, okay, in a nutshell, a few years ago, the Missouri General Assembly approved a bill to allow to expand the percentage of land that a foreign um, entity could own in Missouri. Governor Jay Nixon signed it. There wasn't too much controversy about it. The main reason it was done, uh, I'm not defending it, just explaining it, was because a Chinese company had bought Smithfield Farms, which is a major pork producer and has operations in the now, state. Now, this is the reason I'm bringing this up. I think it, the way you did it in your ad was just basically stating it as a fact. But when that was emphasized during the attorney general's race with Josh Hawley and Kurt Schaefer and used, like, Chinese businessmen taking over farms, Asian-American groups objected to using that argument because it kind of brought this 
this kind of sentiment that is decades old in American politics. Well, that there's let a, me there's put, a, there's let a, me put yeah, this. Yeah. I want, want you to defend, I want you to defend that because there have been people that have criticized that line in, of attack. Here's the deal. My opponent, Senator Parson, supported the legislation that allowed for more foreign ownership of Missouri farmland. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I take issue with uh, those kind of expansion mm -hmm. of, of foreign ownership, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, uh, on top of that, uh, you have these uh, foreign companies coming in to expand industrial factory farms in Missouri. Okay. And that's a whole nother problem. Again, you'll get an earful if you go to rural Missouri and yeah, yeah, talk to and folks and talk to folks around where these factory farms are located because yeah. there's runoff issues, there's smell there's issues. Smell issues. Yeah. I mean you can go down the list and virtually no regulation. So uh, that's something we have to be on top of as a state mm -hmm. uh, in terms of our environment, in terms of who's going to control our uh, Missouri farmland, and in terms of really being good stewards of the land. But th those are perfectly reasonable arguments. But why the emphasis on China? Because what I was getting at is there is kind of this trend well, in American that was politics, the, because that was, where, where China is brought that, up as, as, as an invasive force and because, it's seen as racially insensitive. Because that was what was behind right. this most prominent incident mm -hmm. that triggered mm -hmm. the push to expand foreign ownership of Missouri farmland. Okay. Now, um, this is sort of related to the 2014 fight over the right to farm uh, right. Uh, measure. I mean, that's what it's called. Some say actually it gave more... Um, it, it, it loosened things or made things more freer for these major factory farms. Um, former Lieutenant Governor Joe Maxwell was one of those who'd been heading against it. It passed. Uh, Coster had supported it. Um, some say this has been one of the things that is uh, that, that has helped prevent any regulations on these factory farms. Do you have any thoughts about that? And, um, I mean... Because even though as lieutenant governor, you technically wouldn't have a vote unless there's a tie. I mean, the, you just mentioned this is a big issue, the factory farms in rural Missouri. Yeah. No, you get an earful when you're in rural Missouri about uh, these farms and even uh, local leaders concerned about, uh, you know, the impact on land and neighboring properties. Uh, so there has to be an ability to evaluate uh, these to be sure that they're they're following certain regulations, but the attempt uh, with the right to farm bill was to make that more difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, the folks behind that uh, also were behind uh, expanding a lot of these factory farms. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's an issue, you know, but w there's also uh, technology out there. Uh, several years ago, we toured uh, with a, a company in Earth City that had developed a process to take uh, animal manure uh, from some of these farms and turn it into a sludge-like product that eliminated the smell and eliminated runoff, and they could use that as a substitute uh, for petroleum products in making asphalt for roads. Uh, and I know there were experiments done with, you know, so there's there's lots of ways to look at this. Uh, one of it is, you know, protecting from runoff, but other is 
looking at technologies that are, that can also help solve that problem. Well, I appreciate you answering my question about it. It was something that's been on my mind. Okay. Now, one of the things that, uh, and it looks like there's probably going to be more attacks on this in the final week and a half, is a couple things that you voted on while you were in Congress that have been in the news now. One of them is, of course, um, uh, the health, the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. Um, the Republicans have been like in a lather because um, some new reports have come out that um, in some states, um, the premiums are going to be going up by 25% or more. Now, in fairness, if you look at what the premiums are going to end up being, in many cases, it would still be lower than what these people would have to, what people would have to pay if they're on the pri- on the private market. Right. Um, and but I mean, uh, the Republicans in the state and uh, Senator Parson have made clear this is going to be an issue that they're going to be promoting because you had voted for the Affordable Care Act while you were there, and also um, cap and trade, which is another measure that originally had been a Republican proposal, but you had voted for it when you were in Congress, and now they're trying to use it against you as far as saying that this is going to lead to, if it went into effect, that it would go lead to heightened um, ele- utility bills. I'm just in, You've been involved in all of this, and plus you... I do know a lot about um, alternative energy. I'm just interested. How do you respond to this? Because you're probably going to be seeing attack ads uh, about those issues if they aren't up already. Yeah, and uh, the Republicans have really uh, created a, a big political game uh, out of health care. Um, just by way of background, when folks in D.C. were trying to figure out you know what a what a new healthcare system could look like what improvements could look like you know they could go back to harry truman and every president from harry truman forward tried to have some kind of national healthcare reform or improvement uh and so because things were divided in washington they actually started out with a collection of republican bills uh that were marketplace oriented as an attempt to build around that but build in important reforms like uh, doing away with uh, with uh, Pre- pre-existing condition uh, and doing away with uh, you know uh, kits on on women that that made their health care harder to get and, being and able more to expensive keep, being able to get your uh, keep your kids on your insurance longer all of those things were very popular very much needed and those were incorporated into some of those Republican bills Republicans made on the opposite end of the coin, made the strategic decision, they were going to oppose everything, mm-hmm. whether even it, whether it was started with their own bills. And so we've seen that continue to ridiculous levels that, uh, you know, even Congress voting, I've even lost count, 50 or 60 times to repeal the Affordable Care Act, but with no alternative to fill it in. So it's really become a big political game. And in Missouri, the refusal to expand uh, Medicaid here, uh, again, is part of that political game where I, that we've had now four rural hospitals close. Uh, we've had people struggling um, harder to get care, especially in rural Missouri. Uh, it's wrong. Our dollars are going to other states. You've got a coalition of the Chamber of Commerce the hospital association, 
uh, professional uh, medical associations and community groups all saying this is good for our state, but the Republicans won't accept it and, and my opponent won't accept it because somehow that's tainted from the Affordable Care Act. It's more of those political games that are costing our state a lot. Now, when you're campaigning in rural Missouri, do people ask you about that? Either Or do they ask you kind of about the national presidential race and, and, and that as well? Well, of course, you know, everybody wants to talk about the, the latest Donald Trump statement of the day. But once you get past that, I mean, most people want to talk about local issues. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, we visited a lot with uh, local hospital and healthcare leaders uh, about this, about the impact on their communities. And they're worried uh, about that. And a lot of these hospitals are struggling with very small margins. And, you know, it's frustrating for them to see this $2 billion of, of money that we've all paid in as Missourians going to other states and not being invested here. What effect do you think the top of the tickets could have? I mean, we're talking about Clinton, Trump. Uh, the whole issue has been if tr- that the assumption is that Trump will carry the state. If it's a small percentage, it may not have much effect uh, down ballot and actually could help Democrats. If he carries the state by a lot, the conventional wisdom is that it could hurt Democrats like yourself, uh, since the assumption is that Clinton will likely not carry the state. But things could change. Uh, From your vantage point, how do you see, I mean, efforts to try to link you with uh, Hillary Clinton or whatever? Kind of what are are your thoughts on what the impact is going to be? Well, I think the short answer is nobody knows. I mean, all of the traditional models that people do uh, looking at past election cycles, I mean, you really pretty much have to throw those out the window. Um, what we have seen is uh, Trump has been ahead in Missouri by about the margin of error in most polls. And uh, I think the last you know, week and a half, uh, I don't think anybody really knows what will happen. So, uh, and we've also seen that there hasn't really been much coattail effect uh, from either side in the presidential race, be- just because it's so unique and so divisive. Uh, that's, that's what I've seen. So my final question, and I asked the same question to Senator Parson, will you get bored presiding over the Senate so much? Well, no. I mean, I, it's, I have to tell you, from my time in the legislature, one of the things that, again, I found fascinating uh, in the Missouri House, it was like having the entire state of Missouri in one room. You had someone from every corner of the state, every political party, every philosophy, every professional background. And when it worked well... It was, it was really an amazing thing to watch. It doesn't always work well, and too often it's been a food fight in recent years. But I, I think that's something that takes constant uh, work, uh, constant uh, effort to try to bring people together. And, and to me, uh, that's something I very much enjoy and, and, uh, and take on that challenge. Well, if you win, get ready to preside over the Senate a lot. And, I, and you seem like you, you're really looking forward to it legitimately. Thank you so much for coming in today. We really appreciated the discussion. We'll be watching the race. We'll be watching the results of this race very closely because I think it's a very competitive, exciting race for all of our stories. STLPublicRadio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at, at Jay Manis. That's J M A N N I E S. And I also encourage you to listen to the show with Senator Parson as well. And how would we follow your campaign either on Twitter or otherwise? At Russ Carnahan. And do you have a website? 
we do. It's russcarnahan.us. Thank you very much. So great being with you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Until then, so long. <laughs> <laughs>